is the WTF Bach Podcast. This is a bonus episode. She's a lucky. This is a bonus episode. Bonus episode. Bonus episode of the WTF Bach Podcast. Thank you, Gabby. This is WTF Bach here with something very special to share with you, but let's just dive straight in. I'll play it for you and explain later.
know, some of you already know, that is the original published conclusion of The Art of Fugue, that wonderful piece in G major, that sacred, that pious-sounding music, was actually the published conclusion of The Art of Fugue. We know that the end of the last fugue is lost, and the editor of the first edition, 1751, prints this little excerpt here. It was wished to compensate the friends of his muse by including the four-part church chorale added at the end, which the deceased man in his blindness dictated on the spur of the moment to the pen of a friend. So we have this image here, Bach dying blind, actually. He had this failed eye operation by an English oculist. He was blind, lying there on his deathbed, and he dictates this music to a friend. What an image is that? Then in the first biography of Bach, by Forkel, Nicholas Forkel, half a century later, mind you, Forkel says this, to make up for what is wanting in the last fugue, there was added to the end of the work a four-part chorale, wenn wir in höchsten Noten sein. Bach dictated it a few days before his death to his son-in-law, Altnikol. Truly, this is the image. This is how Bach died. We've debunked the myth that Bach was sitting there on his deathbed, scrawling out the last fugue in the art of the fugue, writing his own name in musical notation, and then, ach, death overtakes him and his hand stops mid-bar. But now we actually know what he was doing. He was dictating this beautiful chorale. And how many of you are turning over four-part counterpoint in your dying thoughts? Well, that was what Bach was doing. So thanks very much for listening. Thank you for listening to the WTF Bach Podcast. And we would be remiss if we didn't thank you for listening to the WTF Wait, 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 wait. No, I'm absolutely lying to you. This is not what happened. Don't believe this. This is yet another myth. I know, ladies and gentlemen, the truth hurts. The truth is very hard to come by. We need to dig to find out what really went on here. So don't believe this. Don't believe the Art of the Fugue's first edition. Don't even believe the first biographer of Bach. Let's dig and be scholars and find out what went wrong and how this yet another myth surrounding the Art of Fugue started. Now, if we're familiar with Bach's works, we know of another one by the same title, Wenn wir in höchsten Noten sein, when we in our hour of deepest Need, it comes from the Orgelbüchlein, which is the little organ book. It's a set of organ pieces assembled in Weimar earlier in Bach's life, about 30 years before, and it sounds like this.
Now, believe it or not, that is the same piece as the piece we heard at the beginning of the episode, even though it doesn't really sound like it, but this piece that we've just heard now is twice as slow, actually, as the original piece that we heard with now a flowing ornamental line up top. If I were to isolate the melody in both pieces, we can hear that it is the same. Listen to this. That is pretty, pretty, pretty cool, I think. That's almost like a, a lesson in ornamentation. And if I were to isolate the lower voices when the melody enters, we have one version doing this. And we have the other version doing this. that even though they go different places, they are really the same piece. One is simply a revision. So to quote Bach scholar Christoph Wolff, how is one to understand the idea of a blind Bach dictating with exactness large sections of a composition written probably more than 30 years ago? Even considering Bach's virtuosity in the craft, the borderline of probability would here seem to have been crossed. Today we have attained a familiarity with Bach's working procedure that tells us that even in his prime, he rarely relied entirely on his memory. For instance, in drawing parts from a score just finished, or in dealing with parodies, parodies meaning that you are quoting music from another piece and reusing it, Dealing with parodies or transcriptions of existing works, he used the original manuscripts as a working base. How much more plausible would it be that on the spur of the moment, Bach might have created a completely new variant by dictation without having to strain his memory? Okay, Wolf advances a hypothesis writing about this deathbed, this so-called deathbed chorale, that Bach in his illness was turning his mind toward unfinished works, and in particular the 18 chorales for organ, the so-called Leipzig chorales. And the hypothesis that Wolf advances is that someone closest to Bach plays for him a version which resembles the one we heard at the beginning of the episode, and Bach, always revising, always in revision, the carpenter in the workshop, always sanding things down just a bit here and there. He dictates a few new things here and there, and from this fact comes the myth that he, quote, dictated on the spur of the moment to a friend. Now, to continue quoting Wolf, the remaining hardcore, however, is more than an obscured fact. The sources indisputably verify Bach's artistic involvement to his last moment. The emendations that elevate the final version for deinen Thron tret ich hiermit from the earlier version of Wenn wir in höchsten Noten sein are the last reflection of a lifelong striving for an ars perfecta. So what Wolf is talking about there with that name change is that the text appearing in the first edition of the Art of Fugue is not the text that Bach was working with on his deathbed. And this is very interesting because Bach, he was revising this collection of organ works, and he's going back to this melody, this Wenn wir in höchsten Noten sein, and as oftentimes melodies, especially with church hymns, have different texts, this melody here has two different texts. It has when we in our hour of deepest need, has also the same text for Dynam Tron, before your throne I now appear. So Bach is sort of turning his thoughts to the beyond, 
Very interesting. Actually, if we look at the text for Thine Throne, it translates to something as, Before your throne I now appear, God, and bid you humbly to turn not your merciful face from me, a, a blood-weak sinner. The, the word there, blood-weak, is blutam, and it means really weak of blood. I mean, sometimes it's translated as pale, but I like to think of that German blutam and like pour of blood. We, we don't even have enough blood to make our face appear uh, healthy. So why, why did this happen, though, however, that the name became Wenn wir in Höchsten Noten sein, when actually Bach was probably dictating this for Deinem Throne? Well, what happens is that the latest revisions, which were being worked out by Bach with someone on his deathbed, were sent to W.F. Bach, the organist, and the engraver's plates for the Art of Fugue went to C.P.E. Bach, the harpsichordist. So an engraver of the Art of Fugue receives an earlier version, and this earlier version has the earlier text, which is not Before Your Throne I Now Appear. And indeed, the Art of the Fugue, the original published version, that beautiful piece that I played for you at the beginning, is not really the latest version, because there is a different version which appears in the so-called Leipzig chorales, which does have just a few, just those very few changes that Bach was working out, and I'll show you just a couple right now. For example, at measure 7 here, in the version that appears as the conclusion of the Art of Fugue, we have this. And Bach changed that on his deathbed to this. So what happened there was that this tenor voice, this one in the middle here, that voice on top, got some more activity. It became... So we can imagine this person playing, this friend of Bach's playing this for him and playing this. And Bach saying, nope, nope, it needs just a little bit more movement. Change that middle voice and give it some more motion there. That's just amazing. That's the type of stuff that I at least go crazy for. I hope you're freaking out right now. Okay, so uh, measure nine, just a few bars later, this in the bottom voice. And it turns into... And the reason Bach did that was because the melody... has this. So Bach wants this canonic imitation in the lower voice to happen. You hear that? So that the product is something like this. In the early version, but in the finished version we have... Again, with that movement. It's just amazing. Another corner that just gets shaved off. There are just a couple more, but I'd say that we'd rather discuss this music uh, and really talk about what's going on. This original finale, of course, was not intended by Bach to be connected with the Art of Fugue in any way. I think it sort of became that way, as just as the editor of the Art of Fugue says. He says that to compensate for this lack of the final fugue, he's going to throw in this one, which Bach was also dealing with at his death. But this is what is called the chorale prelude. A chorale prelude is... Uh, a choral melody on top, which is that beautiful soaring melody that you heard with the vibrato effect on it. 
and it's accompanied by these lower parts, in this case three lower parts that are sort of singing bits and pieces of the melody in imitation. So you have the melody, which is this. And the imitating voices, the lower voices, sort of play off of each other, like in, in canons, and in this case, in sort of an inverted canon. That's what the first voice says, and then... And so we have this beautiful imitation. And this chromaticism in the lower voice. voice, uh, well, the pedals in this case, again with the same shape and chromaticism. And this, I mentioned the pedals because this actually is an organ piece as opposed to the harpsichord piece that the Art of Fugue is. Uh, again, there's more confusion surrounding this work because of things like this, because the original edition has, I think in the last bonus episode, I covered a piece for two harpsichords, and then we have this piece, which is an organ work, and it's all written in open score, which was probably not Bach's intention to have this organ chorale written in open score like, like it is. We're here in this podcast sorting these things out, making sense of all this confusion surrounding Bach's dying thoughts. But I absolutely love this last cadence here. just absolutely so beautiful he adds an extra an extra i believe it, yes it's an extra bass voice and that's meanwhile while the soprano is just holding that g as long as possible i can't actually sustain on this clavichord but here we have Before I knew about this myth that this actually wasn't uh, a piece sort of spur of the moment, I really thought that could have been the last cadence that Bach ever composed. And that would be pretty great if it were, but even so, Bach was occupied with this music near his death, even if he wasn't dictating this spur of the moment to his friends. So let's listen to it one more time, and I believe Leonard Bernstein talks about the chorale prelude being like a ship sailing down this big river, and you have the sort of the river flowing along. And out of this river comes these islands, or these big icebergs or something. We'll hear it up high after the bass voice enters, but of course, turning over these words in his head before your throne, he's, he's imagining he's going to face God after this incredible life that he gave to music and we have here with us to enjoy. I'll play it one more time, speaking my way through it. Here's the first voice. And the second voice, imitating. They're singing bits of the chorale melody as if they're whispering the subject matter. And now the bass voice. Whispering, whispering about the melody, that chromaticism, 
there we're hearing the old version. And here, that's the first big, that's the melody. There it comes, out of this river. Singing the text before your throne, I stand. And now that's like the first section. And again, we hear it restart. And they're singing more bits of the melody in imitation again. Sorry to stop the river, but we have to hear that again. That phrase is just incredible. Listen to where it starts to go and then where it ends up. It's com two completely different places. Misdirection of the finest kind. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast.
follow along. You can 